0: Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer is that this message you hear today will encourage you and inspire you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, you can check out our website at cbcmadera.com, and there you'll find our Instagram and Facebook links, as well as our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church Madera. Thanks for listening. Um, But we're going to be looking at the second portion of chapter one this morning. We went 1 through 11, and the main theme of, of that portion was Jesus' command found in verse 8. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Jesus' main command there in verse 8. He says it, and then he reiterates it. He says, but you will receive power, say power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And he's talking about the promise of the Father, which was the baptism of the Holy Spirit to empower the followers of Jesus to be a witness of Him wherever they went. So this baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's, this, it's, the, it's the purpose, for the purpose, of empowering. And I want to just say this, that sometimes when we think of witness... We, we, we solely think about like evangelism on the street corner or, or you know, uh, getting up in front of a crowd and, and talking about Jesus. But I believe that the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to witness of who Jesus is, is, is it includes evangelism, certainly, because people won't know unless you tell them. But I also believe that it's, a, it's transformative so that, that your life looks differently because of the power of the Holy Spirit working within you. That is a witness of Jesus, and it also emboldens you, and the Holy Spirit gifts you in certain ways, and we'll talk about those gifts in a moment, of how to exercise the the greater witness of the Spirit through your life. And so, I want to also reiterate from what we talked about last week, again, that spirit baptism, or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, was not for salvation, Jesus didn't tell them to wait for the promise of the Father that would save them or would regenerate them. No, he said it would empower them. Jesus had already given them the Holy Spirit on the night of, his, the, of the resurrection. See, so you can read John chapter 20 about that, where he breathed on the Holy Spirit and told them to receive, breathed on the people, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So this is a secondary, subsequent outpouring of the Holy Spirit for power. Amen? Amen. Jesus, and sometimes people don't like the, the term baptism of the Holy Spirit for some reason. I don't know why. Because Jesus gave us that term, right? You will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That term baptism means to be immersed or soaked or saturated in the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon us and we get soaked in the Spirit. And upon the baptism, the gifts of the Spirit begin to manifest. What does the term manifest mean? It means the intangible becomes tangible. The invisible becomes visible. That's what manifestation means. So the Holy Spirit in us and upon us through the baptism of the Holy Spirit causes the gifts of the Spirit to become evident in our lives. And the Apostle Paul writes about some of these gifts. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me and we'll jump back to Acts. So keep your finger there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I think we have, have them there. The first, first says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. And then he begins to list out the gifts, the same Spirit that gives these gifts. But in verse 7 he says, To each, say each, that means each one of you, is given the manifestation or the evidence of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another... The utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. What are those gifts? Those are gifts that we consider to fall under the umbrella of prophecy. It gives people the ability to be prophetic and hear the voice of God speaking, not only to themselves but also to others. This is what the Lord is saying. He gives these gifts for the common good of the followers of Jesus. This says in verse nine: to another faith by the same Spirit; to another gifts of healing. By the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between Spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Sometimes on a Sunday morning, we might have the manifestation of tongues and the the interpretation of tongues. That is, the, the body of Christ working within the Spirit by the, by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, for the common good of all who are hearing. And that's what happens. So the Holy Spirit dwells within us at salvation, and then comes upon us at Spirit baptism, saturating our lives to be empowered with giftings that will lead people to Christ. And that's, that, for me, is so amazing. Because if If you've read the Old Testament, you you understand that in the Old Testament, it was a select few that the Holy Spirit would come upon, that he would empower them for the work that he was wanting to do in that moment, in that time, and in that season, right? He would come upon Noah to build the ark. He would come upon Samson to deliver the people and give them amazing strength. I don't think Samson was a big guy. I think Samson was like me. I think he was just like meh. And then the Holy Spirit came on him, and he was like, boom, just wiping people out. Right? The Holy Spirit would come upon... Yeah, he was like Purdy. That's exactly right. <laughs> Samson looked like Purdy. And then the Holy Spirit came on him, and he threw five touchdowns. That's what happened. So we know of these great heroes of the faith. So We were talking about this on Wednesday, how only a select few people would be empowered by the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament to do the will of God. But now, because of Christ, the Holy Spirit can fall on all of us. And it's not, well, I was set apart to do this one thing in this one moment in this part of time, but God has said, I'm going to pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Those who have come under under the, the Lordship of Jesus, the promise of the Father is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. That's a powerful thing. Because of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit now who can dwell within us. Jesus said, it is best for me as he's talking to the disciples that I go away so that the Holy Spirit would be with you and in you. And now he dwells with us. But he also wants to empower us as his children to be a holy nation to be a, a people, a, pu- a priesthood unto God, that we would carry the presence of God everywhere we go. Amen. Something else that we're going to read about this morning that we also learned from the Old Testament, is, and it's going to show up in the text this morning, is a way that they made decisions. I talked about it just a, sec- just a moment ago about casting lots, and I'll talk about that more. But what's interesting is Jesus tells the disciples before he ascends to heaven, to the right hand of God, that they, want, they need to wait for the, pouring of, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we just mentioned in 1 Corinthians what some of those gifts were, gifts of wisdom, gifts of knowledge, gifts of discernment. But in the passage of Scripture we're going to read today, we're not going to see any of those gifts in operation. We're not going to see the gift of discernment, the gift of knowledge, the gift of wisdom. We're not going to read about that. What we're going to read about is the disciples using an old method to discern the will of God, rather than waiting for the new method to come, which would be the Holy Spirit. Now, the period that that we're about to read about, we know is about 10 days of waiting. Jesus tells them, disciples to go to the upper room and wait, right? Go to Jerusalem and wait. And we know it's about a 10-day wait. And some of us might think, that's not very long to wait, right? But it actually is. Who, who's patient? I mean, I, I, and I literally had a conversation with one of my sons this morning about being patient. And he says, I don't want to be patient. And I thought, that's the truth. He's speaking the truth. I mean, some of us, we just lie and say we want to be patient, but we don't really want to. He was just flat out. He looked at me, I don't want to be patient. I'm like, well, that's true. You probably don't, but I want you to. The, the reason we know it's about 10 days is because the Bible tells us that after Jesus rose from the dead, he walked, and taught, he walked with the disciples and taught them for 40 days. And then he went on top of the Mount, Mount of Olives, Mount Olivet, and then he ascended. And they watched him go, and the angel said at the beginning of chapter 1, Why are you still standing here? As he went, he'll come back. And then they go down to Jerusalem. We're about to read this. And then from the day of Pentecost, Pentecost was 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. So it's 10 days after Jesus ascended. And in those 10 days, the disciples decide to make a very important decision. Are you ready to read it together? Some of you are saying, are you ever going to get to the text, Pastor? Yes, we're getting to it right now. Chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 12. It says, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. They're heading back down, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. That's 11 of the 12 disciples. All of them are in one accord. They've devoted themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In verse 15, and in those days, Luke, the, the author of Acts, is writing about the ten days of waiting. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons, which was about 120, and said, Brothers, the Scripture have had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David, that's King David, concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Now, not to confuse anybody, but they're talking about Judas Iscariot, not the Judas that was just mentioned in verse 13. It says, for, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Verse 18, now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. Apparently, Luke, that, that was important for us to know. Thank you, doctor. Exactly. Verse 19 And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language Al Kaldama. This field is a field of blood. For it is written in the book of the Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and there, let there be another one, let no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. Verse 21. So one of the men who had accompanied us during all of this time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken from us, one of these men must become with us a witness of his resurrection. So Peter is setting his own criteria. This is, this is, what, this is what I think this, the person who God is going to choose has to meet these criteria, okay? This is what he's laying out. Verse 23 says, then they put forward two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, uh, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own place. And they cast lots. Say, cast lots. For them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful for your word. Your word is not just some old text, some dated passage. It is life to us. It directs us. It gives us insight. It helps us to know you. It helps us to know your character and who you are and how you operate and your purpose in the world. We pray that, God, this text would would come to life to us this morning. Holy Spirit, lead us into truth. Help our ears to hear what you have for us. Help our eyes to see what you have before us, and help our hearts receive it, Lord. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So again, we're looking at this 10-day window, this 10-day period of waiting. And among them is Mary. The mother of Jesus and Jesus' half-brothers, James and Jude. Now, if you come from a Catholic background, you might not have known that Mary did not stay a virgin. Mary had a husband, and a husband and wife do what husbands and wives do, and they had several other children after Jesus. Now, if that's rocking your world, I apologize, but this is just Scripture, okay? It says that Jesus' brothers were among him. In other passages of Scripture, when Jesus is, is teaching and they say, Jesus, your brothers and your sisters are outside with your mother, and they want your attention. And he says, these among us are my brother and my sister and my, my mother. So he's talking about, they have, he has half-brothers, right? Because they're not all the son of the living God. So they have a different daddy, and it's Joseph. But the brothers that are mentioned here, he had two brothers, James, who wrote the book of James, and Jude, who wrote the book of Jude. And they happened to be there at this point. That's a, that's a testimony in itself. Because they had rejected Jesus as Jesus until they saw all that he had suffered, and then they came alongside and said, okay, now we believe, we put our faith in him. And they're now numbered with the the apostles, the disciples in the upper room with the women that also follow Jesus, and they're all there together, and it seems like they're doing a great job because the Bible says that they're united in devotion to prayer. And then, in the middle of their waiting, Peter Because Peter seems to be someone who's like me, doesn't have a lot of patience, right? He's notorious for not being patient, right? He thinks, all right, Jesus, they're coming to arrest you. I'm gonna cut this fool's ear off because they ain't going down the way that they—they're gonna let it go down, right? So Peter kind of is impatient. So he stands up, and during this period of time, and he says, "Guys, I know what we should do." He begins to give a speech to the 120 plus that are in the room, and he quotes from the Psalms that they need to replace Judas who fell away, and who, who betrayed Jesus. But instead of waiting to make that decision, they use an old method called casting lots to decide. Now, casting lots was a way that the people of God would make decisions in the Old, old Testament to discern the will of God. And they would use that to di- to divide up the promised land when joshua was talking about which tribe is going to move into the promised land which area they cast lots and this lot fell to you and this lot fell to you and they would divide up those things they would cast lots to decide who was going to go into battle first you'd see that a lot in the old testament and casting lots was kind of like rolling dice and they said all right i'm going to roll some dice and if it comes up six it's faith if it comes up eight it's J, and they would roll it out okay god decides and God in his grace and, and his, his desire to accommodate our own ignorance would oftentimes use that to speak to people in the Old Testament. But what's interesting is Jesus was telling him, I've given you a new covenant in my blood, right? He takes them at the table as he, at the Last, the last Supper and he's, and he's demonstrating communion for them. And he says, I'm giving you a new command." And I'm setting up a new covenant. And he tells them, this is my blood and this is my body. And then he goes to the cross and his literal body and blood are beaten and spilled. To establish a new covenant. And then he walks with them for 40 days after he raises from the dead. And he's teaching them, there's a new way coming. There's a new way coming. There's a new way coming for you to know the will of God. And the, and the spirit of God's going to dwell in you and with you. And they're like, that's awesome. We're going to wait for that. And in the middle of the waiting, Peter's like... I don't want to wait anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to take some time, and I really feel like this is what we need to do. And he quotes Scripture, and, but he uses an old method to discern, discern the will of God. The old method is casting lots. Now, here's what's interesting. I think that Peter was right that God wanted to replace Judas in that seat of apostleship. I think he had it right, and I think the Psalms are, are obviously correct. But I think the way he did it was wrong. I think that this is a, not a prescription of what we should do, but it was describing what happened in the upper room while they were waiting for the promise of the Father. Peter gave them requirements from his own choosing, using his own reasoning. It doesn't say that he was prompted by God that this is, should be the requirements for the person who fills the spot. As if he was saying, okay, the person who's going to take the spot of Judas has to have the same experience that we had, Has to have the same time with Jesus that we did, and he has to walk in the same manner that we did for those three years as we followed Jesus. Are you following me? He laid out all of these things. But then he used an old pattern of discerning God's will, even though the Holy Spirit was about to baptize them and give them a supernatural ability to discern the will of God through spiritual gifting. How do we know that? Great question. Because this is the last time in Scripture that you'll read the followers of Jesus casting lots to discern the will of God. From this point forward, once the Holy Spirit is poured out in the upper room, then they are able to discern the will of God in a whole new way. A whole different way. So I think, along with other theologians and scholars, believe, I believe that Peter was an heir in the way that he tried to discern the will of God. Here's, here's a few reasons why I think that. One, because he, he should have just waited a little longer. Two, because I think that we never hear of these men again. We don't hear of the guy who has three different names, Joseph, Barsabbas, Justice. And we never hear of Matthias, who, are, who was a man that supposedly was chosen by God to be an apostle and taking Judas's place. So the fact we don't hear about him again after... And it's 30 years. Remember, the book of Acts is the first 30-year history of the church. We never hear of this guy again. I'm guessing because he wasn't the one God chose. I might be wrong in that. And you can do your own study. I encourage you. But I did my study, and so I'm going to tell you my opinion. Number three, I think that God had someone else in mind. I think that the person... God had in mind is what we'll find out later on, and his name is Paul. I think that, that Jesus chose for himself the one that would take Judas's place, yeah, that's good. who became an apostle, who encountered Jesus on the road, who was set apart by the Holy Spirit a few years later in chapter 13, along with Barnabas, to do the work of God that he had called them to do. So, I think in the upper room while they were waiting, they jumped the gun, and God said, Well, okay, you can do that, but I have other plans. This is, if you read in chapter 13, look at me and, and, and look with me at chapter 13. We've read this before, actually, when we were talking about our, our fasting. Remember, when we were talking about how fasting helps us, amp- it amplifies our prayers and also amplifies our ability to hear the voice of God. We use this passage of scripture for that. And again, now we see how the Holy Spirit. Could speak. Verse 1 in chapter 13 says, Now there was a church in Antioch, in the church, in the church, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, the lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, can I say that again? The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So the old method to discern God's will, is casting lots, was rolling the dice and hoping you got it right, hoping you heard from God. But the new method, a better method, is called spirit baptism or being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Later on, after the Holy Spirit is poured out, the church now has people who are operating in the gifts of the Spirit. We read in the, in the church in Antioch, they have teachers, they have prophets, people who are able to hear the voice of God, and they hear the Holy Spirit say, set these men apart for ministry. It was a whole new way of choosing church leadership, because when Peter jumped the gun, he laid out, here are the requirements I have for the person who's going to fill these shoes. But Jesus never gave those requirements. Jesus says, I choose who I want to choose. And I'll set them on the the path I want to set them on. And so I I believe that that's what God was doing. Now, that's my opinion. That's not in relation to Paul being the one who would fill his shoes. I just think it makes sense. But I think that Peter and the other disciples, if they would have just waited a little longer, maybe the Holy Spirit would have spoken to them about who the next person would have been. Because there was a new order on how leaders of the church would be chosen. New new leaders in the church, and this is including us today, won't be chosen by lot, by luck, by the roll of the dice, won't be chosen by certain qualifications or experience, like Peter said, but they'll be chosen by the Holy Spirit calling them by name and saying, I've called you out for the work of the ministry. This is how the Lord was going to choose people from here on out. Not by your pedigree, not by what what qualifications you have or education or, or anything else. The Holy Spirit says, set these people apart for me because I've called them and I've put my spirit in them. Now, as I was reading this, I was thinking, man, these disciples, what's wrong with them? But I, as I kind of reflected, I can't be mad at them for making the decisions they made in the way that they were doing it because God hadn't told them, don't make any decisions about this one thing until the Holy Spirit's poured out, Right. Maybe, maybe they were, I mean, they were pretty young, the disciples. They were teenagers. Did you know that? If you look at, if you look at the painting, the uh, Da Vinci's Last Supper, they're all old men. That's not, that's not it. The disciples would be the front row right here. You guys are the same age as the disciples, y'all. So we can't be mad that they were impatient. I'm almost 40 years old. I get impatient. So teenagers, you, it's hard to be patient. So we can't be mad at them, right? And also, God had not yet given them the ability to hear His voice like we have today. So they were making the decision based on what they thought they should do, so we can't be upset with them. I just thought that if they had waited, it probably would have been better. Would you agree? But the beautiful thing is God works it all out because it gives us an example of one what not to do, and and the other is now what we have access to because of the Holy Spirit. It gives us a beautiful picture. From the time Jesus says, wait for something. I'm going to pour out my Spirit on you to what it actually happens in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit's poured out. In that window, that 10-day period, is a good reflection of our life when we're waiting for Jesus, when we're waiting for the move of God in our life, when we're waiting for, for Him to direct us and give us discernment. To say, I don't want to do it the old way. I want to do it in a way that I have access to now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We now have the ability to hear God's voice, voice as followers of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we don't have to cast lots anymore. It's not a guessing game to discern the will of God. Can I tell that to somebody today? Yeah. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to guess at his will. You don't have to roll some dice and be like, well, I hope it comes up seven because I don't know. We don't have to put out fleece before the Lord. You anybody hear Anybody talk like that? If you know the story of Gideon, in the Old Testament, he's trying to discern the will of God. And he says, all right, I'm going to lay a fleece out of sheep, the lamb's wool. I'm going to lay it out. And if, if I come in the morning and it's wet, but if all the ground is dry, then I know that you're with me. Then it happens and he's like, I'm not convinced. I'll do it the next day. And if the fleece is dry, but the ground is wet, then I know that you're leading me, Right. And there's so many believers today that I've heard. And, not, and if you said this, I'm not condemning you in any way. I'm not trying to embarrass you. But I've heard believers say the same thing. I'm trying to discern the will of God. I'm going to lay a fleece out before the Lord. Anybody ever heard anybody say that? If you've said it, don't raise your hand. And that's not, a, that's not to, to make fun of you. That's to just let you know you've been living in the old way of discerning God's voice. And maybe no one ever told you you have a different way of discerning the voice of God today because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon your life. The gift of the Father, the promise of the Father to baptize you in the Holy Spirit so that you can hear the voice of God and discern what He desires for you to do in your life. From that point forward, we see over and over again in the book of Acts... How the people of God, after being baptized in the Holy Spirit, now are able and to discern the will of God. Let's put those verses up real quick. I'll walk through them really quickly, because we'll tackle them in the coming months. But Acts chapter 8, 29, it says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Acts 10, 19 through 20, While Peter was re- reflecting on the vision that he had from God, the Spirit said to him. Acts eleven twelve 12 said, And the Spirit told me to go with them." Peter talking. Acts 13, 2, and while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, 13, 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, Acts 15, 29, and it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. They discerned the voice of God so much, the voice of the Holy Spirit, they could, they could even say what sounded good to Him. Amen. That's called intimacy with the Lord. Yeah. And then chapter 16, and chapter 19, and chapter 20, and throughout the rest of the book, we see how the Holy Spirit speaks over and over and over again to direct the lives of believers. Through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we can discern, we can be led by, and we can know what God is saying and calling us to do. It doesn't have to be a guessing game. The life as a follower of Jesus, the life of a Christian, the life of a disciple doesn't just have to be, okay, what do I I don't know what I don't know what I'm doing. There could be times where we have to press in a bit more, but I know that God speaks to us. And we don't have to live our life guessing, because by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can discern and know the heart of God. How do we know that? Look at what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, 27. Talking about the Holy Spirit, Paul writes, and he who searches hearts, other translations say our hearts, and he who searches our hearts knows what, the mind, what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit begins to pray through you. That's what we call tongues. Right? We don't call it that. The Bible calls it that. We just adopt it. And The Holy Spirit begins to pray through us, and and as we are praying, the Holy Spirit is discerning the will of God, praying the perfect will of God through us, and also giving us insight into the will of God as we pray in the Spirit. And I'll talk more about the baptism of the Holy Spirit next week, with, With what is the evidence of speaking in tongues, what is it for, what is it not for. I encourage you to be there next week. Don't miss it. If you have anybody that has questions in relation to speaking in tongues and baptism of the Holy Spirit... That's a Sunday you don't want to miss. But this aspect of tongues is something that we don't really talk about, even if we, if we, if we talk about tongues at all. is that when we yield to the Holy Spirit, He prays through us in a heavenly language that we don't know. He intercedes for us. That means He goes between for us on the heart, between us and the Father, praying for us according to the will of God, and in turn... He can reveal to us the mind and the will of God as we pray. Isn't that powerful? I don't know about you, man, but I want to be, I want to be saturated in the Holy Spirit so that I can, in, in, in whatever I ha- decisions I have to make and whatever uh, needs to be done this day or whatever is God's laying ahead, I want to be able to discern what God has for me. I want to know His, his perfect will. Again, if you're a follower of Jesus... I want to make, I just want to reiterate this, that you have the Holy Spirit, okay? You have the Holy Spirit. He's dwelling within you. But there is a secondary outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Jesus told us would be for the work of the ministry of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I know that there's been abuses of the gifts of the Spirit. I know that there have been churches that have abused the gifting of the Holy Spirit and many of you have encountered that and it has turned you away from those things You've heard you've had people who just come up lay hands on you like pray in tongues and you're like why? What is it for? What, what, what does this mean? And maybe you, you had an experience one time and you're like I did that once but I don't I don't know what it's doing I don't know what's happening And there's been so much confusion around it because people have not properly taken the time to teach the body of Christ why these things are vital and important for us. And that it's more than just speaking in a language you don't know. The Holy Spirit is empowering you to do the work of the ministry that God has called you to and to discern, help you discern the will of the Father for your life. So there is something that has to happen when we press into His presence and we don't allow what, what the, the manipulation or the abuses of the past stop us from being empowered by the Holy Spirit and rob us of a gift that the Father has promised us. I think there's so many people who I've even talked to recently that there's like a fear around it. And we're afraid of the moving of the Spirit. That is so counter... To the kingdom of god that the spirit of fear is not even in the kingdom do you know that the bible tells us very clearly that god has not given us a spirit of fear but of love and power and a sound mind and the enemy comes in and he and he causes fear to rise up anytime the spirit is moving and you're like oh no what's going to happen i don't even know is, is there going to be tongues? is, there, is, there, is it going to get crazy and fear comes in, and it robs us of power, and it takes away the, the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And I also want to let you know this, that anytime the Spirit moves, the, spirit, the Holy Spirit is a spirit of order and not chaos. He is a spirit of peace and, and not fear so even as the Holy Spirit moves in our midst this morning and in in our services, it's never to be chaotic. It's to be in order because He's a God of order. But one thing that I think that we have missed, especially in Pentecostal charismatic circles, is that we have limited the moving of the Spirit to our Sunday mornings and our Wednesday nights, or a special Sunday night. And that's when the Spirit of God moves. And that's when we encounter the Holy Spirit. And that's when we feel something. And, and we, 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 we reinforce that over and over again when we, we say things like, wow, the Spirit really moved t- today. And that's not a bad thing. But, but what we're doing is we are, we are causing the moving of the Holy Spirit to be in a, in a limited place for a limited time. And we don't allow the, Spirit, the moving of the Spirit to get out of the four walls of the church. So when we gather together as Pentecostals, we're like, Woo! We go crazy. We're like, Ah! Ah! I felt the Spirit! And then we walk out and we're just like, How's it going? I'm not weird. It's just like a, it's a whole different mindset. And, and, we, and we blame it on the moving of the Spirit. Like, God just did something. But then the Holy Spirit wants to move on you on a Monday, and you're like, yes. not here, not now. Yes. And you think it's got to be something like, ah! And the Holy Spirit's like, no, I'm just trying to empower you to be a witness because your coworker is going through depression and they need somebody with the light of Christ inside of them to be bold enough to say God loves you and God knows you and God is drawing you and and we as pentecostals have made it something that I don't necessarily think that it has to always be like I think it I think the moving of the spirit is sensitivity to the spirit So that we can say at work, wow, the Spirit of God really moved today. We can say in school, man, the Spirit of God is moving. And He's giving us wisdom and discernment and knowledge and giving us prophetic words and helping us, giving us hearts of compassion and letting us feel where people are. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the immersion of the Holy Spirit is meant to saturate us So that in everything we do, everywhere that we go, everything that we touch leaves the residue of His presence. I don't know if you've ever jumped in a pool with your clothes on, but you get out, it takes a while to dry off. And everywhere you step, you're you're leaving footprints. That's what I envision when the Holy Spirit baptizes us. We are soaking in His presence. When I shake your hand, man, there's a residue of his presence. When I hug, now you've got some of Him on you. You go hug someone who's soaking wet. When we do baptisms, they come out of the water. I don't know if they're going to hug me or not. They do sometimes. I'm like, this is awesome, but now I'm soaked. <laughs> but my fear is, as believers, we're living off of other people's immersion. My fear is that we can come in on Sunday morning and the Spirit moves upon people and they're being saturated in His presence, but we're living off of the splash. We're living off of the sprinkle. And we're like, man, that was so good. Did you feel that? Wow, that was awesome. And we leave and the wind blows and our face is dry. I believe the Spirit of God wants to baptize each one of us. He wants to immerse us. He wants to saturate us. He wants to soak us. Not so that we can be like, oh, I pray in tongues. It's so much beyond that. Come on. But praying in tongues is a beautiful gift. I pray in the Spirit every day because I know what it's doing inside of me. I know that He's praying for others through me. I know that He's just giving me the discerning will of the Father as I do it. So I'm not downplaying it, but church... That's not all it's about. But it is going to happen when He baptizes us. Amen? But we aren't to be afraid of it. We're, we're, we're called to yield to Him. It's an immersion. It's a dunking that takes us just from a moving of His Spirit on a Sunday to a saturated Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. Amen. What we see in the book of Acts is that the moving of the Spirit happens predominantly outside the gathering place. We see see it happen in the upper room, and then it's happening everywhere. It's happening in the marketplace, it's happening along the road, it's happening in sick places where there are sick and they're going in and praying. It's happening all over the place. The Holy Spirit's breaking out. The question is is that our experience? Or is it the only time we experience the moving of the Spirit is when we gather with others on a Sunday morning? Now, I, I, I say that not to diminish what God does on a Sunday. Don't, don't, don't hear that at all. Right, because we make room for the Holy Spirit. We wait on the Lord. When we worship, we're, we're, we're being intent on, on Him. But the reason we do that is to teach you the practice of doing the same thing when you're by yourself in your home. That this is what we do on Sunday isn't just to meet met and left here on Sunday. But as you worship, man, go your home and you put on worship music when you're alone or with your kids or with your spouse, and you're like, let's just wait on the Lord and see what he has to say. We make it a practice of waiting on the Lord and being in his presence and listening to his voice. That's what needs to happen. So as believers, we need to get rid of the misconceptions of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we begin to see what it really is, the promise of the Father to give us His power to witness, to walk in greater intimacy with Him, and to discern what His will is. And we'll get into that next Sunday. But for those... For those of us who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I believe our our prayer, my prayer this entire week, especially as I've been walking through and studying the Scripture, is that I've been praying, God, give me a fresh baptism of your Spirit, a fresh outpouring of your Spirit, a fresh refilling of your Spirit. Why? Because we get dry. We dry out. We can only live so long off of one encounter or one experience. But God is a God of relationship. And He wants to continue to have us walk in relationship with Him. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel where you'll hear past episodes. If you like what you hear, be sure to rate it and share it with friends. It'll help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley Church, go to Madeira dot com and click on the giving link we love you god bless